0: to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast.
1: That's right, we're back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, Barton man. We got, uh, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. Forty-eight hours from now, we will be getting ready or just kicking off uh, on CBS Sports Network. Oregon State, Colorado State games. Son,
0: yeah, brother, man, it's it's uh, it's going to be a busy weekend for me, especially because I fully anticipated anticipate uh, consuming uh, to the best of my ability all those college games that are out there. But there's a bunch of really good high-profile high school games Ooh. all over the place this weekend too so it's sort of a double whammy for me I'm, I'm gonna take full advantage of it and and settle in this is like my preseason weekend for uh for the college football season next week um but yeah man there's like there, there's still plenty to be um appetized with you know I mean there's I, I'm very interested in And seeing what South Florida looks like in this new offense, Um, I put in RCBS – predictions that i thought they were the most overrated in the aac because
1: Ooh, I, have you gotten some bull some some hate from the bulls
0: faithful for that one because no, man we need to we need to alert the the, the south florida <laughs> fan base to get on cbs so they can hate on me
1: <laughs> um all right well real quickly before we i do want to get some thoughts on some a few of these games we do i mean we got two top 25 teams in action a pair of games on cbs sports network uh byu will be there but um i'd totally forgot that this was that weekend where some of the biggest high school programs in the country some of the biggest stars in all of high school football are going to get a little bit of extra shine um like can off the top of your head man like who who are some of the names or some of the some of the games involved uh, as you barton simmons will put on your national director of scouting hat and uh and see how they show up when they go best on best
0: st john bosco from okay. California, okay. heading all the way to Florida to play Saint Thomas Aquinas, oh, two powerhouse yes. coast-to-coast programs. Another coast-to-coast uh, battle is going to be Damatha Catholic out of Maryland, who's kind of up in your neck of the woods, who's always loaded. Yep, uh, they're going to be playing Bishop Gorman, um, who's from Nevada, right out of out of Las Vegas, um, which is just—I mean—that's sort of a almost IMG light out there in terms of just like the talent that they've got um and then you know those are two that are on Friday night another one that's on Friday night is going to be Justin Fields the number one player in America playing the defending I think 4A state champion in Rome who's got a bunch of college prospects on the defensive side of the ball so that's going to be fascinating to see what he does he was able to beat that team last year with a, a pretty strong individual effort so uh, he's got a chance to solidify his standing as the top player in America with with that show showing in Georgia. So, uh, I mean, there, it's 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 going to be probably for me an even more interesting high school football weekend than college, given the the, the limited slate we've got. But uh, but again, still plenty to kind of wet our whistle with uh, on. Uh, On Saturday as well
1: all right so Justin Fields I might have been one of our very first episodes you had just come back from the opening and I think that you predicted at the time that he would be moved up uh, when the recalculations were done and I guess that you know that that's my fault for not bringing it back that he is now according to the 24-7 sports rankings the number one player in the country
0: he is both the number one player in the country according to, to our rankings that, that, that I spearhead at 24-7 Sports, but also according to the 24-7 Sports composite rankings, wow. which is an industry composite. So now, while some people still have Trevor Lawrence number one, who's the other Georgia quarterback that's committed to Clemson, uh, the consensus now across the board is that Justin Fields has just barely edged Trevor Lawrence out. So it's going to still be a fun battle to see those two duke it out, not not head-to-head, but uh, side-by-side over the course of the season in the state of Georgia because uh, those are two really unique quarterback talents.
1: All right, on Saturday, Oregon State and Colorado State opening up all the action. That'll be on CBS Sports Network, 2.30. Um, that's, a, that's a spot where Mike Bobo's Rams are actually favored by four in this Pac-12 Mountain West matchup. I've got no particular lean there. You mentioned South Florida. That will be on CBS Sports Network as well. Uh, They will be playing at San Jose State. The Bulls, a 22-point favorite there. Uh, You mentioned the offense. We got Quentin Flowers back. Sterling Gilbert follows Charlie Strong from Texas, Uh, and I think that that's where you're expecting to see Quentin Flowers used uh, in a dynamic way because of Sterling Gilbert's lineage this is uh, San Jose State. We're not expecting a whole lot of resistance here on defense, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't – I will say I, I, if you watch this game, Andre Sachery, a, a cornerback for San Jose State, is is an NFL prospect. I, I liked him in high school. He's going to be a kid to keep an eye on if you just just sort of want to be a nerd. Uh, but I, this, I'm, I'm interested in this game because – Sterling Gilbert's never really had a mobile quarterback he's never really he's never really catered to a mobile quarterback and so I think it's going to be interesting to see just what this offense looks like I, I fully expect South Florida to win but I think the, you know the way this offense operates are they clicking do they look like they're in rhythm does Quentin Flowers look comfortable those sort of things are what I'm going to look for as, as you know as we start to dig into whether or not they can go undefeated like a few people out there are are, are predicting whoa 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 i got i've it. seen a lot of that now whoa, you, make surprise that's that's all over the place like the ever the the this sort of trendy bold prediction is usf goes 12 and zero.
1: nah that ain't happening i think the american athletic <laughs> conference you. is too good and that you know what i'm saying like that's a compliment to the the competition that they're gonna have i uh, agree I got yeah. I got San Jose State covering twenty two. If it was under three touchdowns, I might go with the Bulls. But you're going cross country. You're playing at San Jose State first game. New head coach, new staff. Yeah, give me the Spartans to cover the number.
0: I took I took the Spartans to cover as well.
1: Uh, also Stanford thirty and a half. Way too much. Even against Rice. Even in Sydney. I mean, and my thinking here was you just want to get these guys back on the plane healthy, right? Like, I just – I don't – I could see David Shaw um, – I think they'll need defensive touchdowns to cover 30-and-a-half. How about that?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think probably you're right. Though They may get defensive touchdowns as good as that defense is, is and, and as good as that secondary and linebacking group is. The, the big thing I'm looking at here is, again, Keller Chris. I mean, yeah. quarterback position is – because I, I think if, if Keller Crisp is is good, is is dramatically improved, maybe not even dramatically improved, but significantly, takes a step forward. Uh, this is a team that could go to the playoffs. I think they're that good everywhere else, and so I'm I am really interested to see if that guy looks like a leader of men, a comfort level coming off an ACL injury. Um, so that that's I think that's going to be telling for the rest of the year just just sort of how comfortable he is in the pocket.
1: And that game will be 10 o'clock Eastern Time kickoff ESPN on the television. Um, we'll be given uh, official expert picks for the Week One proper, but. We had to hit him with that before we get into our second big-time, in-depth game breakdown. Uh, This is going to be, as you know by clicking on the podcast, uh, we're going to be going Alabama and Florida State. We flip the coin in the air. Florida State's going to go first. Um, All right, so uh, Barton, are you ready to break it down?
0: Jingle us up we are getting into specifics.
1: Game breakdown.
0: Specifics.
1: Game breakdown.
0: If they played on a neutral field, game you
1: would down. take them. Breaking down the game. And now as we continue our deep dives, our deep in-depth game breakdowns, we're giving whole episode to the GOAT, the greatest opener of all time, uh, Florida State and Alabama. Florida State won the toss, so Brendan Sinone goes first. Brendan, thank you so much for taking some time to uh, join us here on the Twenty Four Seven Sports College Football Podcast.
2: No, sure thing, guys. Thanks for
0: having me.
1: So you're deep within the si- inside the bowels of the uh, the Florida State <laughs> facility right now. Um, let's let's start with this. Uh, I always like to hear. I like to listen to Jimbo Fisher speak. Uh, listeners of this podcast know that I just I just enjoy it. Um, I, can, you I, under, can you understand? what do you, Can you keep up with them? That's that's the challenge, Brendan. Is You just, oh, you guys never tried this? Got to put a penis in the coke. Got to get together. You know, there's something about everything that just makes it and makes it want to just ring in my head. But, like, I love the fact that uh, ever since the national championship in 2013, he will always talk about uh, a championship mentality. He'll start talking about it in the spring, mm-hmm. and he always wonders, you know, well, it'll, well it's going to be interesting to see if they're going to be able to get a championship mentality. And so I want to ask you, Brendan, from talking to players, <laughs> from talking to coaches, do you think that this team, which certainly has playoff hopes, number three in the country, title hopes, before we get to the Alabama game, is this a team that you can see shaping up potentially to be uh, one of those special Florida State teams?
2: uh b- before that man k- kudos to you like that Jimbo impression is really good mine oh, I get make fun of like around the beat when I do mine it sounds more like a uh, like Will Ferrell trying to do George W. Bush on Siren Live back in the day <laughs> I kind of have the weird <laughs> and laugh it's not it's not good but your Jimbo is pretty spot on so like like at least a seven or eight out of ten. Oh, good. thank you I'll um, take that uh so as far as your Florida State's expectations man like on paper, you know, what, what we've seen and heard so far from this team in preseason camp, what we know is coming back, like this has potential to be a team that can make a run. Now, kind of thought the same thing did last year, and that team stumbled early out of the gate and kind of figured, figured things out as the year went on. Um, and maybe by the end of the year, you know, would have been closer to a, a championship contender if it didn't have the, the loss, the, the embarrassing loss at Louisville and the heartbreaker against North Carolina. Ah, uh, but this year's team, with all the talent it has coming back, you know, has stability at quarterback. DeAndre Francois—it's the first time Florida State's had a you know, known returning starter since Jameis Winston in 13, 14; those consecutive years. Um, you know, defense—you know—had it had its struggles last year, but really figured things out in the second half of the season. You get Derwin James back from injury, so yeah, there's a lot of expectations—not uh, just externally, but but internally—that this program and players have said. Uh, it's kind of a championship or, or buzz mentality. So like I said, on paper, like there's reason to believe that, that there's legitimate hype for this team as far as you know, in the context of being a championship contender.
0: All right, Brendan. So last year's team, the defense was, was pretty ugly uh, during certain stretches, but they had it figured out by the end of the year. I'm not worried about the defensive side of the ball. Receiver, there's enough talent there to to make some noise. It's offensive line that that never really looked like a, a championship unit last year what was the problem last year was it a personnel thing was it an experience thing H- and and has that been fixed like what is going c- to give us a general state of the union on the offensive line so whenever uh, we, we do the the null 24 7 podcast <laughs> shameless
2: plug uh chris knee <laughs> always talks about the offensive line because it is just such a you know, it's not only a bugaboo with the fan base, but it's a legitimate concern heading into uh, this season. Again, if we're looking at Florida State in the context of a championship contender, and and, and you articulated it well, last year's line didn't look the part of that. Um, and Frankly, I don't think any offensive line they've had since 2013, the year they won a national championship, and the second half of 2014 has looked the part of, of one. Um, and, and there's you know varying factors. I think one – the line never, you know, really got time to gel last year. There was a lot of injuries. They were constantly rotating players in and out. There was center Alec Eberly supposed to be the anchor of the line, and come to find out, he was playing with basically like two torn uh, labrums, like <laughs> in his hips. Like he of the hip, and he had to have offseason surgery to shape part of the bone to, to make him bend better. Yeah. Um, you know, Robert Johnson was fine at left tackle, but never really turned into the the you know the star that I think that people thought he was going to be when he played as a as a started as a true freshman in 2014. And then all the guys around those two names I just mentioned were kind of coming in and out of the lineup. So that's partially why I think the right pieces never kind of came together, which is part bad luck with injuries and part just, just not you know having the right talented you know guys in the right place, which kind of comes to recruiting and development. Um, this year, I think the line will be much better inside. Uh, Eberle is back, and he's in the best shape of his life. And I hear that a lot during camp, but he is bigger and stronger than we've ever seen him. Uh, they have two really good offensive guards, and Landon Dickerson and Coleman both sophomores. Uh, both are just big, aggressive maulers. Um, and the question mark kind of is that tackle, uh, whether they have a good left tackle or not. And they've kind of struggled uh, rotating different guys in and out to to work at left tackle there to replace Roderick Johnson. Right now, looks like they're going with Derek Kelly, who's kind of been a guy who who's worked at right tackle, has worked at offensive guard. Um, but, you know, he, he's basically never started, you know, he's basically never ended the season because he's had injury problems. So you're kind of you're kind of relying on, on either, you know, with a really young guy there or you're going to go with a guy who's had you know, injury problems. So there's still concern about the stability uh, on the offensive lineup front. And that's, that's a huge
0: issue for this line or for this offense if the line's not consistent this year. So, I mean, so where are we? I mean, do you think it's – do you think that this is a unit that is – a championship caliber unit this year do you think it's a very much like a wait and see process what where would you sort of grade where they're at right now in terms of where they they're going to need to be in terms of like winning a national title which is the expectation
2: well i think it's going to be a grading scale and i say that not because i i don't want to dodge the the, the question but but it's going to be grading scale because you, know, you start the season with alabama and then you know, two weeks later, Florida State has Miami, and then after that, NC State, and and I think you're talking about probably you know three of the top ten or fifteen defensive fronts and defensive lines maybe that you'll see in the country. Um, so the offensive line you know, typically you know it has taken time to kind of gel. When even when it has been good, it's not right away under Florida State and It takes time to get the right pieces in place, and that's kind of the way they do things in Tallahassee. Um, I think there's upside because, like I said, I think the interior is going to be really strong, and traditionally the best FSU offensive lines have been good at center and have had two reliable guards, and they kind of made the other pieces work. Um, so, so I think there's upside for it to be really good and, and to kind of be that championship caliber team. Yeah, I, I think that the offensive line can get to that level, but I don't think you know we're going to have a clear idea of that the first month of the season. I think we're going to see some struggles. It's going to be whether they can kind of reshuffle the deck a little bit uh, get guys in the right place. Uh, figure out you know, whether they do have Derek Kelly at left tackle, or it's going to be a you know a retro freshman like Josh Ball, and get everyone in place and kind of see what the charge is in the second half of the season. Then I think you
0: have a clear, a clear, uh, a clear answer to your question there. Okay, But be- before we start digging into to uh, Alabama and Chip might have a couple more uh, intro questions too. But the the one other most intriguing aspect of this Florida State roster to me is the true freshman Cam Akers and some of that Mm -hmm. might just be from me watching him in high school and having high expectations for him I've heard positive things I know how how good he looked in the spring game Um, but should we expect him to be as dynamic as impactful as the number one running back in the country you know ranking suggests like are are we going to be are we going to be wowed by the true freshman this like, year? Are we Cam going to Make- see
1: it now? Are we going to see it in this fast start? <laughs> yeah,
0: that's
2: that's one of the million dollar questions of the preseason. Is, is I think it's not you know a matter of if Cam Akers plays impressive, but you know if, if more a matter of when 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 Florida State decides to kind of to kind of unleash them and see what they have. You know, typically under Jimbo Fisher, he, he doesn't like to play true freshman on offense. He's much more comfortable with true freshmen on defense uh, at various levels. And he is on offense. I mean, I think took Dalvin Cook uh, until I mean he was basically a third string running back, and the two guys ahead of him, Carlos Williams and uh, Mario Pender, had to get injured before uh, Cook got in there. I think like in October, and you know he was a five star, you know, pretty highly rated guy um, sure. too. And and yeah, so so I guess yeah, part of me thinks okay, you know, with Fleur State, obviously there there's a vacuum. You know, Dalvin Cook is gone, and that's a guy who had you know upwards of 200 carries in each of the last two seasons. So there's certainly you know a, a a need for, for someone to kind of step up and, and replace Alan cook. I think cam Akers is part of that equation. Um, and I think he'll see an expanded role by the end of the year, because like, like you said, everything that we've heard has been pretty positive. Uh, you obviously saw what he could do in the spring game where he had over a hundred yards of total offense. Uh, his highlight film from high school is just crazy. Everything's there. We've heard he's super mature. He's handled the adjustment to college really, really well. Um, but, again, Jimbo kind of likes to slowly bring his guys along. And I'll go back to the start of the season with the good defenses, really, really good defensive fronts. Florida State's potentially playing with Alabama, Miami, and NC State. I think there's a chance we'll see Akers brought along a little slowly. Uh, and then by the end of the year, you kind of see the you know, see him get, get more touches. And as Fisher becomes more comfortable with Akers and as Akers becomes more comfortable you know, playing college football, we'll, we'll see more of him. But I'm hesitant to say he has a huge role right away. I would say like the over under is maybe like eight, eight, eight touches, you know, whether That's good. this, you know, is, good. Ball this is good.
0: This is good info. Yeah. I, 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 I need to temper my expectations early on. I'm glad glad to know that going in.
1: Do you think that – all right, so this is a season with very high expectations. Spotlight coming on right at week one, and you mentioned the fast start. Is there anything that as we inch closer to that greatest of all time opener in Atlanta, is there anything about this Florida State team that has surprised you, or is there anything that you think that the national media or the national fans are missing about this group – um, you know, because there's there's Derwin James, there's DeAndre Francois, there's Cam Akers, there's uh, a defense that looks absolutely stellar from Derek Nottie, Matthew Thomas. Like there's there's all these things in place right now. But is there anything that we're missing about a group that uh, is, is going to have we're going to be nitpicking this Florida State team by mid-October, looking at everything? Where do you think we're going to be drawn to either a strength or a weakness that you think most people outside of Tallahassee are missing?
2: I'll, I'll throw a name to you guys, and you, I mean you—you you probably know NyQuan Murray or, or Nuni, as they call him here. I think he kind of had his coming-out party nationally in the Orange Bowl last year. He had two receptions sure. for two touchdowns, including the the game winner. But yeah, I don't know on a national scale like if he's a household name And He shouldn't be. Like he only had about uh, I think off the top of my head like 400, 500 receiving yards last year. But uh, but he's the guy that they're really, really, really excited about. And I think the wide receivers in general. You know they they lose a lot of of experience at the, the position, but they have a lot a lot of talent coming back. And NyQuan Murray is kind of the the guy who spearheads that that um, that receiving core. So, you know, if Florida State's good, like real good, like if it's a championship contender, you know, if it starts the year three and one, or you know, even somehow four and zero, oh, um, NyQuan Murray is going to be a reason why, and it's going to be a name that people are going to be really really. Uh, excited about, especially in the NFL community, because he's not the biggest guy, but man, he, has, he has great hands, he moves well, and just has a knack for coming down with the football. So he's a guy that I think is maybe getting overlooked uh, right now, uh, and again, because he doesn't have a lot of production, but, but I think he's a name that people will start knowing uh, if Florida State wins at a really high level.
1: What about the guy who's supposed to get him the ball? You've been able to see some pretty, some pretty strong quarterbackings in the last several years uh, covering Florida State. Do you think that, where do you think DeAndre Francois needs to take a step forward from last season to this season on the field? And do you think based on uh, what you've either seen in limited access or heard from players or coaches, do you think he's ready to do that?
2: Yeah, Chip, super limited access. We get like yeah, 10 minutes before practice, right. and we got one open practice where we're able to see him. So, yeah, everything that I'm going to say about him, I'll preface it by saying it's what we've heard, um, whether on record, off record, you know, from, from players, coaches, whoever. Um, he's looked pretty good this preseason. I think Jimbo is comfortable with him. I think Fisher likes to have that rapport with his quarterbacks where where they can talk openly and candidly about what they're seeing, and he wants to make sure that guy can relay things back to him. And DeAndre Francois has proven that that he sees things in a way similar to Jimbo Fisher, which is why they work well together. Uh, the, the things that I think he really needed to work on this offseason uh, was being more accurate on shorter passes, intermediate throws. Uh, his, his completion percentage in the second half of the season uh, went down. It was, against some really good defenses, but you know, he was floating around 50% in, in quite a few games, uh, and that's not sustainable you know, for, for a team that wants to win the whole thing. Uh, so that's something he's wanted to work on, and I think he's gotten better with that and partially it's because he's seeing things better. and that's one thing we've heard all preseason is that he's he's reading defenses a little bit quicker, knowing what he needs to do with the ball right away uh, and understand what guys around him are doing. and I think that's going to give him more confidence and make the ball you know more accurate when he gets rid of it. So uh, those things we've heard about him have all been pretty pretty positive. Uh, I'm not sure you know just what is his his feeling is right now, but, but I think there's a lot of optimism about what he what he is and what he can be.
0: Alright Brennan, this is the time of, of year when coaches start saying, "Hey, we we've, we've we've been focusing on us all preseason. Now we're going to focus on the opponent." So I'm gonna, I'm going to call on you to 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 make the switch with Jimbo and start focusing on Alabama here. What what's going into this week 1 matchup, which is obviously the premier matchup out there? Just give me a couple points and and matchups or areas that you think are going to be really sort of the the seminal Areas for for this for this outcome, like what what are the what are the battles within the game you're watching, um, or just the keys to the game, other than just sort of the typical turnovers and and um, you know mistake free football.
2: Well, I think when, when you know, and we're going to start doing a little bit more game coverage stuff, you know, next week as soon as Monday hits, so we're going to start rolling out with that. But uh, what I've done with research so far and looked at Alabama, I think that the one thing that pops up to me. Um, when you talk about strength versus strength, as the reason why I think this you know, game excites so many people is Alabama's running game and and the way it's going to go about, you know, attacking FSU's defense uh, with you know, I mean the slew of running backs that it has, whether it's you know Bo Scarborough or Damien Harris or uh, whoever else they have, just this this stable of running backs, and then Jalen Hurts, who ran for almost a thousand yards last year as a quarterback. Um, so that's Alabama's strength, and and I think that's going to be the strength of not just Florida State's defense, but it, but it's number one strength that's going to be able to hang its hat on as a team this year is the ability to stop the run. Um, you guys mentioned Derek Nottie earlier and, and Josh Sweat as a defensive end. DeMarcus Christmas is a guy at defensive tackle that his staff is really high on. And it's going to be strength versus strength. It's going to be FSU's ability to stop the run and something they got increasingly better at as the season progressed last year. Versus what Alabama does at just an extraordinary extraordinarily high level, and always has under Nick Saban. and they've always produced really good running backs and and a bunch of them on the roster at the same time. Uh, and that's going to dictate, I think, the terms of the game is and this is not different than any other football game. The team that can kind of control the trenches and and, and run and kind of assert itself is typically going to be victorious. And, and I think you know that that's where this game starts and ends is is with that battle, FSU's defensive front. Uh, versus Alabama's really potent rushing attack.
0: Now right, You started digging into defense a little bit, and so we've yet to talk about my singular most favorite player in all of college football, Derwin James. I, I'm. What What is your sense in how, whether it's this game or throughout the season, they're planning on using Derwin James? Is he going to be in like a LaMarcus Joyner-type role, be sort of a Jalen Ramsey in – you know, whatever, I guess it was freshman year kind of when Jalen Ramsey was sort of the, that nickel type. Uh, is he more of a, fr- a free safety or is he just sort of going to be a, uh, you know, a, a hybrid Derwin James position where they just do everything with him? What What are your expectations out of this guy?
1: Yes. All of the above. He's uh, going to be LaMarcus uh, <laughs> Joyner. He's going to be Jalen Ramsey. He's going to be <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Uh,
2: uh, the, the, I mean, there's a ton of hype about Derwin James, and I think it's mostly justified. Because last time we saw him in the context of a full season in 2015, like he was fantastic. Like Pro Football Focus has embraced it as the highest safety you know, individual season you know they've ever had since I started covering college you know athletics. It was only like five or six years, but still, he he you know, had the best individual season ever for a safety, and that was as a freshman who only started like six or seven games. Um, and what made him so special was because he could do everything at such a high level. Uh, he was reliable back end in the defense once he kind of got his feet wet a little bit, you know, covering deep passes. Uh, but he was truly at his best, and where he made the, the biggest impact to me was, was moving up into the into the box, um, almost as like a pseudo-defensive end uh, on passing downs. They would put him in on the edge against, you know, scrambling, you know, mobile quarterbacks. Uh, and just kinda you let him go to work. Like you would either spy the quarterback and they just kinda said you follow him and just go wherever he goes, or they would just let him pin his ears back and, and, and rush the QB. And I think he had like four and a half sacks with, with not a whole lot of rushing opportunities or pass rush opportunities. So that's what we saw him do in twenty fifteen, uh twenty sixteen, kinda, you know, just as a fan of football, like I've enjoyed watching him and I feel like we kinda got cheated to not see him for a full season in college, oh, a yeah. game and a half. Um you know, and that kinda stinks. Like, yeah, it would have been really cool to see him for all three <laughs> years. Um and, yeah, we're we'll only seeing him for one more year, I'm sure, because he's going to the NFL. But uh, I, I think they're going to try to do similar things with him this year. He's going to be a deep safety for them on, on just like normal standard downs, and then I think they start getting creative with them uh, on, you know, situationally depending on what they want to do. They work in that cornerback like it's an outside corner a little bit in the spring um, and right now he even having doing kickoff returns. And I think there's even been some whispers of him, uh, playing on offense a little bit. So I want to temper the expectations for him a little bit because, you know, he, he is getting ranked as like the number one player in the country by, you know, ESPN and, and sports illustrated and everyone's kind of hyping him up. And I think it's mostly deserved, but, um, you uh, he—he—I'll he, put it this way: he's gonna—he's gonna make an impact on all three levels of the defense this year, and then I think uh, he could maybe make impact in, in other areas of the game as well as the season progresses.
1: Well, as Brendan just mentioned, uh, next week is when you can go to Knowles twenty four uh, seven Florida State dot twenty four seven Sports dot com to see all of the extensive uh, game preview material that they'll be rolling out there. But based on your uh, you know, I I hate to to go spoiler here, but I mean, we're this is the twenty four seven sports college football podcast. We need takes, we need opinions, we need picks, man. Brendan, how do you see the Alabama game playing out? And if you've got a score, bonus points to you.
2: I'm sure my score would probably change like three or four times between now and and when we have to like actually put them down, pen the paper, and then okay, good, speak, but. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Alabama 24, Florida State 21. I, I have a hard time picking over a Nick Saban team in an opener. Neither coach has lost a home or has lost, excuse me, an opener at all since they've been you know at their respective schools. Um, but but there's just something the way Alabama operates so efficiently. No matter who they have, you know, who they're playing against, whether it's a USC or Wisconsin, they just seem to dominate these openers. I just I guess that's something that kind of sticks with me as I look at the, evaluating this game. I think Florida State's gonna be able to to generally slow them down, I think they'll be able to hit enough big plays. Just uh, If we can go full circle going back to the offensive line, I, I struggle to see Florida State being able to consistently move the ball uh, early on in the game and even early on this season. I think that's going to be a little bit of a work in progress because I think Alabama has a few more proven playmakers on, on offense, and, and I think that ends up being the difference where they're able to, to score just a little bit more and what will be a generally low scoring, scoring affair.
0: Alright, so I think that's a reasonable, measured pick there. And let's just assume that that's the way it plays out, that they do lose to Alabama, start the season 0-1. Um, what What do you think, like how confident are you or what expectations do you have for them the rest of the way? Like they've got Clemson away. Obviously there's going to be some tough trap-type games uh, in the Atlantic. Do you think if they do start out 0-1, like, what is what's going to be your confidence level that they can figure out a way to still get into the playoffs after that?
1: Well,
2: I've kind of thought this is, generally speaking, a a, a 10 and two team um, mm-hmm. and not because of talent. I think just the schedule like you alluded to is really, really good, um, or really tough. I should say you have to yeah. play at Clemson. You have to play at Florida. Uh, you have Louisville at home, you have um, Miami. I mean, if that game against NC state, you know, after playing Alabama and Miami in two of the first three weeks of the season, if that game was at NC state, like, I feel like that would be just just a terrible trap game for Florida state against an NC state team. That should be pretty good. There's just so many potential pitfalls on the roster or sorry, on the, sorry, on the schedule for Florida state and it's still trying to fix things and figure things out on its roster at wide receiver, at offensive line. There's still a lot of question marks. I just, so I'm not sure in in if this is a team that even if it loses one game, you know, if it's gonna be able to run the table the rest of the year, I think there's potential for at least one more loss. How they rebound from the opening loss against Alabama, is that something that kinda of snowballs like we saw last year when they lost to Louisville early on, is that snowball and lead to another loss like it did against uh, North Carolina later in the year? I think that's kinda of what remains to be seen. Um, I do think I curious to get your guys' thoughts. Does a ten and two team like could they make it into the playoff this year? I think given Florida State's schedule. If it did go ten and two, and depending on how the losses looked, I think like this team could be the first one in the college football playoff to make the you know, to make the playoff with just ten wins or just two losses.
0: Ooh. I agree with that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it's a hell of a lineup, man. They got they're going to have a great resume at the end of the year.
1: Hey, they love quality losses it's, on the uh, on the playoff selection too. committee. <laughs> and too. it's and it's so, hard to get
2: more than sometimes more
1: than wins.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you can I mean, shoot, if uh, that Alabama loss could get them boosted above uh, above undefeated teams in the playoff rankings. Those bonus points, baby.
2: Yeah, I mean, if, you know, Florida State could lose. You know, they're coming in at number three. Alabama's number one. They could lose Alabama in a close game and get ranked number two. I don't know. I don't know yeah. how that works. But yeah, it, yeah. I, I think Florida State. You know, if it does want to contend for a national title, if it does drop two games, I think it has to play. You know, in the ACC championship game and win it. Still, I think they would need that extra win. But I, I think this team is good enough to to contend for a national title. Just the schedule, man. It, it's so tough.
1: We'll be watching closely, obviously, and we will be following along. You can follow Brendan on Twitter, at B. S-O-N-N-O-N-E. Brendan, we are going to get you back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast for sure because we don't expect Florida State to be going anywhere. This is going to be a fun team to watch all season, and we appreciate your time.
2: No, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brendan.
1: Our thanks once again to Brendan Snown. And before we bring on Travis Ryer to talk some Alabama, you know, we're spending all this time talking about putting together the best teams. And if you're hiring, trying to put together your best team, then you need to know where to post your job to find the best candidates. That is why you need to go to ZipRecruiter. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. See, that's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike these other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them. In fact, 80% of employers who post jobs on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within one day. And this is for small businesses, big businesses, businesses of all size. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash 24 seven sports that's ziprecruiter.com slash 24 seven sports one more time try it for free today go to ziprecruiter.com slash 24 seven sports all right now we, uh, we got to keep we got to keep building our team Barton you ready to uh to hit up Travis Ryer? let's dig in man. Pleased to welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, uh, a familiar voice for Alabama fans and soon to be a familiar voice to all of the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast listeners, Travis Reier. um, How are you doing, man? You've got some fall-ish type weather down in Tuscaloosa today, starting to feel a lot like football season, huh?
3: Yeah, you know, you can go out the practice for those couple of viewing periods and not feel like you're going to code or something by the time it's over. It's uh, actually kind of low humidity today uh, in Tuscaloosa, so a little bit of a taste of fall, but uh, I'm sure we'll we'll still have some pretty sultry weather between now and then.
1: Now we got uh, the – you'll you'll be in the very fancy, the brand spanking new stadium there in Atlanta for the opener. Um, this is – being in the opener, being in this building, like this is – this should be very familiar to Alabama fans, to Alabama's team. Uh, how has the fact that this is the highest-ranked opener, uh, has that changed at all, the conversation around the players, like – The Alabama seems to always get on the schedule, uh, these premier games, but with it being Florida state, with it being Jimbo Fisher, with it being the number three ranked team in the country, is it business as usual? Or can you tell that, uh, there's a little bit of an extra buzz around the building?
3: You know, I think there's uh, maybe additional focus if possible. You're right. Alabama's played in these kind of games. Uh, When you talk helmet games, just last year, the opener with USC. Yeah. uh, They've opened with Michigan in the past. So, uh, from the helmet standpoint, uh, there's been attractive matchups. Now, I think going into some of those games, the expectation was Alabama was still decidedly the better team. That's not the case this time. Uh, It's a marquee matchup in every way. And, you know, the competition on the field uh, extends to the recruiting trail. You know, when I look at Florida State's roster, uh, and I'm sure it's the same with the guys and gals who cover Florida State uh, with Alabama, you know, there's a lot of names that sort of come off the page as familiar in terms of past recruiting battles. So you're talking about sort of a matchup that uh, goes on on an annual basis, but it's awesome to be able to see them play it out on the field for a change. Travis.
0: We'll, we'll dig in a little bit more to the, the specific game battle, but I, I'm just curious from a, a general perspective. I, I've made the statement that I think this is the most talented offense Nick Saban's had from a purely personnel standpoint. And some of those guys I include with the freshman class, um, you know, those receivers that, you know, may or may not come of age this fall. I, I'm curious, your take is. C- is that a hard yes? Is that a whoa, slow down a little bit, or or is it a hard no? Like wh- where are you at in terms of my bold proclamation on this Alabama roster offensively?
3: I would say I'm at a soft yes at this point. I still want to see it for myself, Barton. But yeah, when you line it up and you look at you know how these guys were recruited by programs across the country, and when you look at the five running backs that Alabama is going to take to Atlanta. Um, you look at the wide receiver position and the injection of talent that they picked up there from this freshman class, and you've got three guys at wide receiver that are true freshmen, and uh, Jerry, Judy, Tate Smith, Henry Ruggs III, that I think you're going to see against Florida State. So, um, And that's, that's in a rotation where you've got guys like Ridley and Robert Foster, a former five-star in his own right, uh, and some other guys, Cam Sims. So Deathwise wise specifically at the skill positions, I tend to lean that way right now. Uh, that 2012 team you know, was a very talented group, as we all know now, with Amari Cooper and T.J. Yeldon, Eddie Lacy, A.J. McCarron at quarterback, and they had the benefit of probably the best offensive line we've seen around here uh, with Chance Warmack, D.J. Fluker. Uh, Cyrus Quanjo, Barrett Jones. So, yeah, but just in terms of skill guys, Barton, I'd have a hard time arguing with you.
0: Okay, all right. well then so I guess that brings up the offensive line question and, you know, from center left, I feel like this is some pretty known uh, commodities. Uh, Bradley Bozeman, I guess Pierce Bacher and Jonah Williams would be that that center to left starting group. Uh, What about the right side. And what about specifically I guess right tackle seems to be where the um the the starting battle has been. Are you is there confidence that it doesn't matter who shows up at right tackle they'll be okay or, or, or give us the give us kind of where we're at uh, in that
3: situation. Yeah. The the thing is and you know this They had Cam Robinson and Jonah Williams as their tackles last year. I mean, you talk about a luxury. That's a luxury in the National Football League, much less (laughs) at the college level. Um, But trying to sort of offset that with Cam going on to the NFL, you know, Jonah is fine at left tackle. He's an NFL guy waiting to happen, as you guys know. Now, right tackle, uh, it's been sort of a developmental situation with Matt Womack, not a highly regarded guy as a recruit. I think he was a four-star coming out of high school, but a grinder who has worked his way in position, similar to Bradley Bozeman at center, being a a real factor at that right tackle position. And I think if they played today, Matt Womack would likely be the starter. That said, Jedrick Wills, the true freshman out of Kentucky, uh, a very highly thought-of recruit came in the summer and has just wowed people pretty much from the time he's arrived. So there is still competition going on at right tackle. And I would say at this point, maybe to the surprise of some, it doesn't involve Alex Leatherwood, who was an early enrollee last January, but Wills looks like he's going to play this year. The question is, is he going to take over at right tackle? And if he does, exactly how soon will that happen?
1: We were on a, uh, a Bo Scarborough watch for a hot minute. Turns out his absence from practice was illness. Um, what do you know about this, and is there any, is there any reason to be concerned about uh, the, the superhuman of a running back and his ability or his role in the Alabama offense for the opener?
3: Yeah, until we see Bo – do it over five, six, seven games, which I don't know if any of us have seen that from him going back to his high school days. There's going to be concern anytime he's not on the practice field. It turned out that it was just an illness. Uh, he's been back to practice the last couple of days. Looks really good. So The expectation is he's full steam ahead for Florida State. But it's been an issue availability with Bo is, has been something that's escaped his grasp, uh, and, in, 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 in his football playing career, you know, I think if he had a middle name, I'm not sure maybe he does, it would be if he stays healthy, because every time you talk about Bo Scarborough, it's, if he stays healthy, he's capable of 15, 16, 1700 yards. Uh, but that's why it's great having a guy like Damian Harris, maybe the most undervalued running back in all of college football, you know, all he did last year was rush for over 1,000 yards on <laughs> and less than 150 carries. He averaged yeah. 7.1 yards per carry. You know, in most years, if an Alabama back does that, you know, we're talking about New York in December. But uh, right now, it's gotten Damian Harris the, the number two spot.
1: Where do you – is that the – do you think it's Bo, Damian Harris? You know, how do you see that mm-hmm. group of running backs getting sorted out? What do you think the rotation will be when they start the season?
3: Yeah, right now I think it's Bo and then Damian. But I think Damian's going to see a lot of time himself. You know, they have that benefit right now. They don't have to give it to somebody 30, 40 times like they did Derrick Henry a couple years ago. Um, They can pitch count a little bit with Bo. You know, they can go 15, 18 carries. Uh, Damian can be a 12, 15 carry a game guy. Uh, Where it gets interesting is that third guy. You know, Josh Jacobs, very impressive young back. He's had a hamstring pull for about a week and a half now that's kept him pretty much out of practice. That's opened the door as if this guy needs any help. Uh, Getting through the door is Najee Najee Harris, Harris, the the true freshman. And so Harris and Harris sounds like a law firm or something, but that would be, I think, the two and three guys right now. And then I'll tell you another guy, Brian Robinson. Um, You know, Came in here as sort of the other back to Najee Harris, a local kid from Hillcrest High School, but physically very, very tough and impressive uh, in his own right. So I think those four guys could all see the field in some form or fashion in the opener.
0: Okay. Uh, Offensively, new coordinator, um, new scheme, I would assume, though maybe not a drastic change from what they did last year. I've heard or read kind of mixed reviews from the scrimmages, almost like the offense was a little behind, which isn't atypical in the preseason. Um, But I'm going to let you sort of take this wherever you want to go with it because Jalen Hurts as a passer was limited last year. Um, How do you feel like the offense is in terms of of progression at this point in the preseason? And, 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 you know, within that, you know, where is Jalen Hurts in in that same kind of vein?
3: I think cumulatively – the feedback on Jalen and that needed improvement in the passing game has been positive. There has still been accounts from time to time where inconsistency has still cropped up. And look, Jalen, regardless of how much he improves. And I do think he has, he's not going to be Tom Brady and Brian Dable understands that he's not going to ask Jalen hurts to be Tom Brady. I think Uh, pass improvement season is over. I think there was obviously a huge emphasis on that back in the spring, on through the summer, into fall camp. With the season cranking up, we're going to see continue to see some of the Jalen Hurts we saw last year, if not a good bit. We're going to continue to see zone read. We're going to continue to see RPOs off of it. So in some ways, Brian Dable's having to adjust to Jalen Hurts as much or more than Jalen Hurts is having to adjust to Brian Dable. And, you know, that's any smart coach. Uh, when you've got a guy with that kind of skill set, uh, you want to make maximum use of, of those abilities. And if you try to take away the running aspect of his game, you're only going to have about 50% of the quarterback you would have otherwise in Jalen. So, you know, it'll. The, here's where the proof will be in the pudding. If Calvin Ridley averages 11 yards a catch again this year, and catches like seventy balls. That'll tell you that they didn't make much of a stride in terms of intermediate mm. and deeper passing game, yeah. because that's where it's got to really get better. Um, that's the, you cannot have that type of production out of that type of talent on the outside uh, in Calvin Ridley and some other guys too. Um,
0: okay, I wanted to ask you a defensive question, but but the end of your answer there kind of brought up a new new thought here. I, I just I. There, there's fascination with Tua Tonga Valoa. Where,
3: where it's real, by the way. It's yeah, real. so it's so not get, a fascination.
0: Okay, uh, there's a fast. Okay, good. I mean, but what is? Where are we with Tua? Is he going to play? Is he going to play some? Is he is he going to be? Is it, uh, you know if Jalen starts struggling mid year, is he going to start? Like what? What do you? What's your expectation for what level of exposure we'll get to
3: Tua this year? I have kept the yeah. expectations to a pretty much minimum with Tua. But when you talk to eyes that you trust that come out of scrimmages like this past Saturday and say, I don't know how they're not going to play him, that really perks up (laughs) your ears. And that's the feedback I got from multiple former UA players. Um, And so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they go about it because in terms of just passing ability – uh, and instincts and the physical tools to carry it out. I don't think they've had a guy around here like Tua. Um, you know, Jalen's great in his own way, uh, but I do think if they wanted to play Tua in some situations, it would work because I do think Tua as a passer can complement Jalen in some ways uh, that maybe that, that Jalen isn't as uh, efficient or effective. So it's a great question, and I'll be surprised if we see anything scripted for Tua against Florida State, but, again, and the people I talked to, this was twos against ones, and Tua was making plays against the defense. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I Nick think Saban very much knows what he has in Tua. It's just uh, it's a great problem to have, but it's one they're going to have to try to figure out
1: you've got uh on the the ones defensively the ones for alabama's defense is just an all-star roster and one of the things that's so interesting about this particular season is that when you lose uh seniors uh like um a jonathan allen like a ruben foster i think that there's a there is a collection of players uh i'll throw two names out there that i know but i'm i'm asking you travis like I think Rashawn Evans and Deron Payne are two names that a lot of college football fans uh, do not realize are all-American level talents. Who who else is in that conversation, and who are these other names that are going to crop up and very quickly reveal themselves to be uh, not just uh, the next in line of uh, being all-conference kind of players, but some of the best players in the entire country?
3: Yeah, I think some people are already aware of Deron, uh, maybe not as many of Rashawn, but I think Absolutely, Rashawn's going to be a household name probably as early as September the third. Um, he, he is a guy that because of how they're going to use him two six three two thirty five runs in the four five range. Um, you know, early downs you're going to see him at inside linebacker. Passing downs they'll kick him out to the edge and let him rush the passer, which is what he really is in at his heart is he, he's a pass rusher, but. He has adapted so well to the responsibilities at inside linebacker that he can really do both. Um, you know, Otherwise, I think that uh, a guy that needs to become one of those type of players is Trayvon Diggs mm, at corner. Yeah. And by all accounts, he's had a really good camp, really good preseason, which they needed to happen uh, because if he takes over that corner spot opposite Anthony Everett, it kind of – settles everything else on the back end. So I would say Trayvon Diggs, also Christian Miller. You know, this is another former five-star type recruit who needed time. Uh, He came in here about 205, 210. Uh, He's now up to 240 uh, and still dynamic in terms of his pass rush ability. So in filling that void for Tim Williams, Ryan Anderson, keep an eye on Christian Miller. He's had a little bit of a hamstring issue the last few days, so we'll see. But if he's healthy, uh, he would be one of my picks too.
1: All right, as we take a look at the Florida State game specifically, um, where where do you think this one – because Alabama is obviously the betting favorite, but like you said leading into this, this is unlike some of the other high-profile Power Five helmet game openers. This is one where uh, the debate on who the better team is uh, is a little bit more up for grabs. Where do you think it is essential for Alabama to show up and play well in order to be able to win?
3: Gosh, um, you know, offensively, it still starts with the run game at Alabama. I mean, as as much as they've been explosive in recent years, especially with Lane, uh, the last three years, uh, you know, with those type of backs and and, uh, their ability to get you... Easy yards that are really pretty hard, I'm sure. But uh, that's where I'll be most interested uh, early in the game, and also from a philosophical standpoint for Brian Dable. You know, how committed is he to getting back to you know pounding the rock a little bit more uh, from a traditional standpoint? Two tight ends, whereas Lane was three wide receivers and, and more centric that way. Um, so that's where I'll be watching, and, and that means that offensive line, obviously, especially the right side. You know, I think Jalen's got to make some plays early with his arm because my expectation is Florida State, with the talent they have in their secondary, they're not going to have a problem saying, look, we'll man up. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll put Tavares McFadden on Calvin Ridley, and we'll man you up, commit an extra guy to the box, and let's see if Jalen can do it with his arm. I fully expect that from Florida State. Defensively, you know, pass rush. And, And that was such a problem for FSU last year. I think they gave up 36 sacks. DeAndre Francois took shot after shot last year. They feel like they've improved there. Alabama, obviously, with a lot of production to replace uh, in the pass rush. But, you know, young guys like Raquan Davis at defensive end, who you will, again, speaking of one of those guys that people will find out about pretty quickly, he'll be on a lot of freaks lists in in the next year or so at 6'7 and about 290 pounds. So, you know, some of those younger defensive ends and those guys like Christian Miller on the edge, Terrell Lewis on the edge – um you know they need to to find out real early in the game exactly how much if any Florida State has improved in terms of protect protecting the quarterback do you have a game pick yet you know I picked Alabama in my way too early picks but you know as it gets closer at least as far as a final score uh, I it's it's uh I'm starting to think there might be more points in the game. I know we talk about all these defensive guys, but, man, when you look at the offenses and the quarterbacks specifically and the potential for big plays, uh, you know, I could see a game that gets north of 60 combined points.
1: Oh, wow. What's the over-under on that right
3: now? You know, those days are behind me. Okay. Fortunately, uh, I used to be able to call up those numbers pretty good. I, you know, I'm not totally sure. I'm gonna. If I had to guess, I would think it's probably in the mid 50s. Oh, it's at 49 um, and a half. Oh wow! Yeah. See, I think I think there's a good chance it goes north of that because you know you look at these defenses again, and they're they're stout. They're talented. Yeah. But you know, I saw I saw the thing about it for Alabama is they're great stopping the run, and I think they're going to make it very hard for Florida State to run the football. Um, but you know. Austin Allen threw for 400 yards against him last year in that situation. Sure. Uh, Chad Kelly uh, did the same thing. Deshaun – you know, you still have to be able to get off the field, and it's harder than ever, it seems like, in this era of college football to do that.
1: So, it's like the, you know, maybe things are a little bit tight for a quarter or two, and then all of a sudden they break open? Because that's what I, I've thought for yeah. a second, that they would stay, both both teams stay a little bit conservative, and then there's just, too, whether it's uh, Calvin Ridley, Nyquan Murray, like, there's just too much talent out there, where one blown assignment's going to be a touchdown.
3: Yeah, and I hear, you know, from the Florida State perspective, all the the Travis uh, Rudolph and and the guys they lost at receiver, but yeah, Murray Tate, uh, Gavin, they've got guys coming, and uh, even Izzo, the tight end, I think is probably undervalued a little bit. So you know, if it turns into you know a, a throw it every down type of game, um, you know, it could it could get very exciting.
1: Wow. Um, all right, what about the the season as a whole? You've you've got Alabama. Um, you know, being able to maybe edge this one out in a higher scoring than expected game. As the, schedule, as the schedule unfolds, how do you see, where do you see the pitfalls in Alabama's pursuit of returning to the college football playoff and trying to win a national championship?
3: You know, if Florida State doesn't get them in the opener, it's hard to look at that schedule and think, well, this is a real possibility prior to Auburn. And that's all dependent upon what type of shape Auburn's in from an injury standpoint like last year by the time the Alabama game rolled around in late November you know Sean White was all but done at quarterback Cam Petway had an ankle sprain that he was trying to come off of that's the biggest advantage Alabama has right now in my opinion when you talk about running this type of gauntlet is they are so deep that they can withstand uh, the kind of stuff that if it happens to an Ole Miss or it happens to another team of that ilk uh, Arkansas, it's devastating, you know. So, yeah, I would actually like Auburn's chances a lot better if they got them. They got Alabama in September instead of late November. For that very reason, I think it's one of the big advantages Ole Miss had in those two years that it was able to knock off Alabama. They got Alabama in mid Septemberish before the injuries and before uh, the other things that really take a team like an Ole Miss out in, in mid-October on through the end of the regular season. So, you know, LSU, talent-wise, is still going to be uh, top tier, uh, but they've got to come here to Tuscaloosa. Uh, I'll tell you a team that I think could, and I, and I go back to Ole Miss, and again, in large part because of where it's on the schedule, I think Jay Patterson, I think those receivers at Ole Miss can come in and make it entertaining in Tuscaloosa. Um you know, Danny Etling and, and when that situation at LSU right now just doesn't really uh, you know, make me think that they're gonna have a, a great shot here. But you know, A and M on the road, who knows what A and M's gonna look like the first weekend in, in October. You know, A and M has a opening month where they could come out of that two and three and then what's the situation with someone? So uh I guess long story short, when I look at the schedule, Florida State if it doesn't happen in the opener until Alabama gets to Auburn, I think they, they roll pretty easily.
0: Travis, you got a ridiculous job of like prognosticating a team that's a national championship favorite <laughs> just about every year. Uh, do, where does this team compare preseason with your internal expectations? Uh, and maybe even with the fans. Like, do, do you think that this is a national championship or, or total disappointment type of year? Do you think this is one of the better – preseason teams that Nick Saban's fielded kind of what 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 do you think generally uh, historically
3: this team looks like well first of all Barton I paid my dues around here man <laughs> I was here for four and nine in 2003 and, you know watching those teams back then and then watching SC during that same time period and its crazy run under Pete Carroll I used to think, man, I wonder what it's like covering a team like that every day. Well, I found out here in the last eight or nine years. But no, as far as expectations, I think it's reached that point where it's national title or bust. I mean, this team is, this program has won three straight Southeastern Conference championships. Nobody even talks about it. I mean, it's an afterthought. It might as well be like a division championship, <laughs> it, it doesn't even get play. Um, so I think for the fans, that's where it's at. Uh, and it starts at quarterback, you know, for the first time since 2013, they bring back a starter at that position. And, and we know fans typically tie or pin a lot of their hopes into that spot. Um, but, yeah, roster-wide, again, they're built for the long haul. They're built for that 15-game run. Um, does that mean they're going to uh, complete it without a bump or two in the road? No. Uh, as we've seen, they've had great teams around here lose. You know they they've lost games to A and M in November. They've uh, lost back to back to Ole Miss a couple of years ago. So nothing's you know out of the realm of possibility. But again, it, it starts with how you're built, and and they are absolutely built for that for that run.
1: Well, Travis, we uh, there's there's just no way that we're not going to have you back here. This has all been awesome. We really appreciate. Uh, I mean, like this is the that's the thing about covering Alabama, right? You just know that you're in high demand, right?
3: Well, it's fun. I enjoy it. Look, as I said earlier, you know, I was, I, I did back to back independence bowls. All right. I did Shreveport back to back December. So, um, but no, it's all fun regardless. It's a great sport. We all love it. We all appreciate the attention that the fans give to it. We wouldn't be in the position to do these things if they didn't. So I love all aspects of it, really. it It truly is a lifestyle when you talk about this part of the country.
1: You can follow Travis on Twitter, at Travis Ryer. That's R-E-I-E-R. Of course, Alabama.247sports.com, Bama Online. Uh, That's where you find all the stuff. Travis, thank you so much, man. We appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Our thanks to Brendan Sinone, to Travis Ryer, to Barton Simmons. Make sure you follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Subscribe to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast because subscribers get them first. We're cranking up the coverage. We got football coming up. Make sure you're subscribed. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast.